Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones, joined today by my old mate, Mucka Evs. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank mate. you very much for having me back. Appreciate it. Fresh off the bus from Ukraine. Let's just get into it, mate. Let's go. Fire away. Since you were last on, which I believe was September, I think you've been away for most of it, haven't you? Yeah, so uh, I've just come back about four days now. I was out there for three months, so it was a long one. Right. Yeah, last leave, got married, like a three-day honeymoon, and then, bosh, gone. Yeah, which is probably the way to do honeymoons, yeah. and you don't overplay the hand, no, I'll say, I'm to keep them too happy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was the way. I just, just cracked out three months out in Ukraine, got back last week. Uh, yeah, cold. So we don't get a fucking Russian cruise missile on the on the studio here. <laughs> just explain to people, because I know we have listeners in Russia, shout out to you guys. Um, so just to uh, clear up what you do in Ukraine, you're not on the fighting side, you're on the security Yeah, side. so uh, what I do is I'm, I'm part of a multinational news organisation as one of their security risk advisors. So what we do is we take the journalists out into different areas of the Ukraine we advise them on their, their safety and how they operate and how they news gather in those regions. We safely get them in. We uh, we look after them while they're in these sort of hot spots and then we extract them. And then should we have to provide medical care, sort of frontline medical care, we can do that. And uh, that's it really. You know, we, we're, not, we're not biased. We don't approve or disapprove of anything that goes on. We're just there to tell the tale as it develops as safely as possible. So you and me were having a conversation on the way in about kind of the almost like a bit of an ethical question, I suppose. And without going into details about certain cases that you know of, there is this kind of argument with people that go out, you know, aid workers, journalists, or just flat out war tourists like there was with that fucking bloke in Kabul. Yeah. Obviously, when these people get captured or kidnapped, a lot of the time that will then necessitate a operation which is going to involve intelligence gathering, which is dangerous, which is going to involve, you know, a, 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 a hostage rescue kind of raid mission, whatever you want to call it, where people put their lives on the line and sometimes give their lives for that. What's your kind of thoughts on, like, the ethics of, of that? I mean, I've got little bits of experience with this. I mean, I, I was involved in a, in a job in Libya where a British school teacher was still living in Benghazi in 2014 when it was a complete sort of Angel Sharia area and uh, he was kidnapped and um, you know we were involved because I was with the embassy then a little bit in assisting the, the team that would go and extract him to get him out and they did they had a successful operation brought him back to the to Tunisia and then within two weeks he'd crossed back over into <laughs> Libya and he was back in his back in his school and I think, you know, that was probably his, his one chance, his one card of, of getting rescued. And, you know, you, you meet people, you meet journalists, um, self, especially freelancers out in Ukraine, going to places and doing things that are, that are suicidal, you know. Mm. And you'll see them and you'll see them, you'll try and stop them and they'll disappear over the horizon and they'll, they'll never come back. But there's, there's quite a broad outline of, of things that you need to maintain. So if you're a British citizen, for example, and you're operating in these areas, unless you're registered with your nearest embassy... Mm and you're informing them on your trip, duration, places where you're going and stuff like that, if it's a failed state and they haven't got an embassy, uh, an embassy warden network, you know, because that, that was what saved me when I, got, when I got whacked. It was the warden network that found me and extracted me. You know, so if you just go in blind and you get taken nine times out of ten, unless there's an active intelligence operation in that region, you know, you're, you're gone. It's not, as in, it's not as until somebody labels you as, as, as missing or reports you as missing then something's going to happen. So, 
in terms of ethics, I mean, it's one of those things. And if you're a, if you're a, a passport holder of the UK or you know any sort of developed Western nation, you know the military and the government have a duty of care to try and extract you. Whether that then gets extended again and again and again, I suppose it's on a case by case basis. I mean, I, I know people who have been kidnapped journalist wise multiple times. You know, and each time there's an attempt to have gone in or a ransom's been paid or, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it's very case by case dependent, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think the duty of care one's interesting because it's like on one side, let's say you've gone on holiday to um, Mexico. And I'm saying this because I'm going soon and I want it on the record that I want rescuing, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if you go somewhere like that and, you know, you've kind of gone like, you've gone to Mexico City, which is maybe where I'm going. Um, and like, if you get lifted from there, you know, but then if you've gone into like the foothills of Sinaloa on your own and stuff, and you're like visiting cocoa, you know, or, or like sorry, like coke distribution plants, yeah. and you get lifted, it's kind of like you kind of did that to yourself. Well, exactly. I mean, it's you know, if you're a total civvy and you're like you said, you're on holiday in Mexico City, and then you know, man on fire happens. Great, <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the other day, mate. Yeah. Great movie. Then you know, yeah, you know, you you deserve to be to be saved. But you know, if if you're constantly putting yourself at risk and you're constantly you know, walking that fine line, then the chances are you're going to get taken and nothing's going to happen. The other flip side to it, though, is like, you know, I've never been a tier one operator. Um, I think let's uh, say I never will be. I think we can safely say that. But um, I'd tell you what, if we'd been on tour and someone had said like, you know, every time a spicy operation came up, you wanted to do it. Yeah. So I can't imagine that these blokes are like oh fuck's sake we gotta go i imagine the, the feeling is oh great and now obviously if something goes wrong on the mission i'm sure there's a lot of resentment but if it all goes well they probably fucking love it well yeah it's like anything you know there's never there's never a bad time to go down range and start doing stuff like that is there <laughs> no, no. <laughs> unless it's in between <laughs> in between the naffy breaks yeah so like that you know that's kind of the other thing as well it's because it's like look it's not like anyone was conscripted into the sas to and forced to go on these missions so you know, there's. It's basically we're talking about a lot of you know individual choices on both sides. You join, you join the army, you join the SAS, you signed up to do those kind of raids, and then on the other side, it's individual choices, which maybe you could say means that, especially I think in the case of kind of like quote unquote repeat offenders, I do, I definitely think there's something to be said there. Like, look, mate, like we fucking pulled your ass out of the fire before. Now it's you know. Tough, tough fucking tease. You, you had your get out of jail free card. Now you can fucking. So some of these journalists, mate. Like I've I've worked with people, and they just have you know a lot of them. Ninety nine point nine percent of them are extremely professional. You know they understand the risks, and they they're very risk adverse. And every time something happens, they will look to you for advice. And every time you have to say no, we can't do that, which is again very rare. They will ab- abide by that. But you know, ver- every now and again, you'll get that one sort of journalist who is like, no matter what the cost. You know, I'm getting it on, you know, there'll, there'll be stories of people who are embedded with militia groups in Syria, people who were embedded with the Taliban. And, you know, it's the, the, a lot of these people that they're, they're artists and you've got to give them their credit. But mm. some of them are a bit mental. Well, we know what to think of artists around here, mate. Yeah. Um, have you seen that movie Salvador? No. It's an Oliver Stone movie, mate. So uh, I got into it because obviously Oliver Stone is our man behind Platoon. Great movie. Um, and um, before he did Platoon, he did Salvador, and it's about basically about journalists there, and they're kind of putting themselves into some ridiculously risky situations. It's a really good movie, definitely recommend checking it out because it's um, it's kind of got all that interplay in there, bribing local, bribing the locals, 
locals getting knocked off while journalists are just watching, you know, and kind of like the ethics of that. And then some of the journalists putting themselves too much in harm's way, getting themselves killed. And then it's it's not one for the kids. Definitely not. Unless you unless you want to bring your kids up ready for the real world, in which case, <laughs> you know, a bit yeah. of ethnic cleansing might be the right thing for them, you know, get them in there. So, mate, what have you been up to in Ukraine then, mate? Like, as in, like, where have you been? What have you seen? All that kind of stuff. So, I spent my first two weeks in Kiev. So, my the way my rotation works is, is that when our, when our security operations manager goes out on leave, I'll cover for him for a couple of weeks. And then once he comes back in, I, I go out with the teams. Most of my time has been in the east. So, I've been based out of Kramatorsk, uh, mostly operating in and around... Um, Bakhmut, Solodar, Seversk, uh, Yampili, Liman, uh, north of Liman, and then we go down to south of Pakross, and we basically just work with different different brigades doing different jobs, or you know watching them, and that ranges from reconnaissance, artillery, infantry groups. You know we do a, a vast array of different things. And what's the kind of the the picture? How has it changed in that three months you were there? Because I think a lot happened in that that period. Right? Yeah, the tempo definitely increased in the east. The battle in Bakhmut. I mean, I went. I was in Bakhmut in in May, you know, and then it was a town, pretty still well populated at the time. There was some sporadic shelling, you know, nothing nothing too bad. Pretty pro Russian, as a lot of the towns in eastern Donbass are. Um, but now it's you know there's, there's there's segments of the town mate that are just like Stalingrad and it's street fighting. I was there Christmas Day, and we went to to the fire brigade, um, who were basically just you know giving people hot food that's still there. And we we drove into town and we just had to immediately pull the task and extract out. I mean there was street fighting going on two streets behind us. You know, you know, you were getting the crack thud coming over the vehicle. There was snipers in the buildings above us. There was HMG fire going on above us. You know, you could hear, you know, you could hear armor moving. It was just, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty intense and insane to be honest. Um, Bakhmut is a very case by case basis with us that we go in. We've got it nailed down pretty good now on how we operate in there. Um, so it's it's achievable. It's very dangerous, but it's you know it's achievable. Over the last sort of two, well, I say not even two weeks. I mean, I was last there a week ago. The tempo changed to Solidar, which is to the north of north west. I think of Bakhmut. I'll have to look on the map. So the Russians have basically both sides were just turning the Bakhmut into basically just a meat grinder. You know, the Ukrainians held the western bank. The Russians pretty much held the eastern bank and to the south. They tried to come round the flank south north. Because there's two MSRs that feed Bakhmut. There's the Konstantinivka road, and then there's the MO3 from Slovyansk that comes in. So either of those roads are controlled, do you know what I mean? You're pretty much cutting the logistical supply line by about 50%. And the Russian objective was to come down from the south, flank north, cut off the Konstantinivka road, which would have basically put a str- stranglehold on them. But they just couldn't, they couldn't make that happen. They just couldn't basically get that, get that kinetic gain across the river. So what they've done now, which is pretty smart, is they've gone north-south. They've came, they've come in in force, taken Solidar, and now obviously they're putting pressure onto the MO3, which is the main supply line, out to Slovyansk. And then from Slovyansk, you've got Kramatorsk and all, all the rest of it. So it's been a pretty, pretty kinetic period, to be honest. Probably the busiest time in Ukraine that I've had since I was there. Um, I was also there for the liberation of Kherson, 
So I did that. That was the first job that I did of this rotation. That was that was pretty intense. We got into Kherson two days after the Russians left. And to see a city completely plastered in Russian propaganda, you know, to see the people there and how they were living and how they were forced to get Russian passports and to interview people that were actively involved in the resistance operation within Kherson and how they were secretly sending messages of where the Russians were operating and which was then being translated into fire missions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Went to Chernobyevka airfield, which is pretty famous for, you know, for that sort of stuff. That was really interesting. And just to see sort of the Russian interrogation centres and how they converted municipal buildings into interrogation centres, um, local police stations had been converted into interrogation centres and stuff like that. You know, that was that was pretty... So so when you talk about interrogations, are we, are we talking like those Iraqi kind of fucking manacles and yeah, torture? Yeah, I mean, and- pretty much. I mean, you know, this is just basically going off the evidence that, that, that we seen when we went there. You know, we went to a place that was called The Hole where people were taken, you know, and we interviewed people who lived around that area that had, that had physically seen being people rolled out the back of trucks and dragged in there and never come back. So a lot, a lot was going on there. We went up to the bridge, um, the bridge that runs over. I forget the name of the bridge, but we went up there. That was pretty interesting. There was still a hammer and sickle flying above the bridge because there was too much sniper fire for the Ukrainians to get rid of it. So that was quite surreal. So it was, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was there when the whole Iranian drone thing came in. You know, so that was that was quite nuts. But it's, yeah, it's been busy. So just explain that that to people because you were in Kiev at the time, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So to explain to people what those were and, and what was that? What so that was again, like. I forget the name, but it's this kamikaze Iranian uh, drone that basically flies. If they haven't called it Tojo, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, L- low and slow. Basically, it comes in. It's 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 powered by like a Vespa engine, so it just sounds like a moped. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like <laughs> these hipsters are getting out of control, oh, mate. And it's just it comes in. It's like, <laughs> and then boom! It looks yeah. like you know, like the old doodle bugs from like yeah, yeah. But it's it's one of them. And anyway, everybody goes nuts, and all the police just start rattling off in the air and end up hitting buildings. And yeah, it's because they probably slaughter all the yeah. So it's uh, to be to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of incoming in Ukraine at the moment. A lot of it's targeted into Kiev, but the air defense there is second to none. I mean, they've got like a 98 percent success rate. Wow. I mean, the air defense in Kiev is next level. Or was it Patriots? And well, they've got Patriot now. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that's being deployed, but I know that they've definitely got it. Um, so you can see the rush. So the tactics that the Russians are trying to do to sort of circumnavigate the air defence is they'll fire a wave of missiles mm. that will be duds. They won't have any warheads in them. Mm. So then the air defence will come up and knock them all out the sky, and then immediately following that, then as obviously they're replanning the air defence, that's when they'll throw a second wave in. Sneaky, sneaky fucking Russians. Yeah. Um, but then now, so they've started now targeting. Other areas, um, primarily with softer air defence like Odessa. So if you can hit Odessa easily because they can come straight in from the sea. Right. You know, there's no air defence sort of, you know, yeah. in depth. And Dnipro, again, historically is a town that's received quite little strikes, really. There's a lot of Chinese investment in Dnipro, so they, it doesn't get hit as much. Mm-hmm. wonder where that is. Saying that, obviously, in the last 48 hours, there was a massive strike on an apartment building there. I was talking to colleagues of mine this morning that were on site, and they've just said it's like a scene from September 11. You know, it's absolutely horrendous, huge loss of life, huge damage, and it just looks completely, you know, like a civilian, op, you know, Building. Apartment building. Yeah. Normally, when you go to the, these strikes, you know you'll see that it is. There are signs of you know the military there. You know you'll go to an apartment block or you'll go to a 
you know, a, a shopping precinct. Um, you know, there'll be loads of Ukrainian military trucks packed up around the back or there'll be blown up ammo containers everywhere. But from here, it pretty much looks as if it's just a totally civilian target that they've hit and killed a lot of people. So, you know, it's not, it's not great. No, mate. I mean, it's such a fucking waste, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I saw, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I saw um, old Condi Rice and um, what's his name? Fucking not Bill Gates. Gates, Robert Gates. Yeah. Apparently, they've just published an op-ed in the Washington Post, which runs along the lines of Ukraine can't win, which is interesting because, um, I mean, those two are two of the biggest war orcs you're ever going to meet in your fucking life. Big military industrial complex fans. Um, They've done very well out of it. And um, I'm wondering, there's two things going on here. One, are they preparing people for the... Because, you know, their they're kind of um, crew are the very much Ukraine flags in the bios crew, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, are they pr- pr- trying... Because you know how it goes in the media, mate. There's a story that's put out from the establishment that starts to trickle down then and is picked up by the media and then public opinion starts to change because it's going to be very hard. It was the same as COVID, right, where they had the vaccinations. Then all of a sudden they were like, they dropped the mandates. A lot of people who'd really bought into it were like, well, you can't drop the mandates. What are you doing? So obviously if we just said at this point, right, now we're not supporting the war in the Ukraine. There needs to be peace. People would be going, what the fuck? So you have to kind of trickle it down a bit. So I wonder, is that the the aim? Are they going to start to do that? Or is the aim... Or, or is this all oh, they're losing? So what we need is another hundred billion dollars. I'd say I'd say the latter. I mean, there's more Western gear there now than I've ever seen. I mean, you'd, you'd laugh. You know, we were on the MO3 the other day, and there was a load of wolfhounds, British military wolfhounds, six of them on the side of the road, smashed to bits. Right. You know, you, you, I seen snatches driving around there the other day. I was wondering if snatches were going because I, I could just imagine Zelensky going around like, "Nope, <laughs> don't want these." And I was like, "Oh my god!" The journalists were like, "What's that?" I said, "See that vehicle over there? I have driven around one of them in Northern Ireland, Iraq, Afghanistan. <laughs> I'm not getting in there. Now it's just cruising around Donbass." But there's all sorts of stuff there. There's M113s there now. There's right. Mastiffs. I, I, at this point, I really feel like when I'm doing my tax return, we're coming up to tax return season, Yeah, I'm going to start putting Mastiff on there and being like, look, I probably only paid for a few nuts for the for, for the wheel, but I want a rebate on that. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. It's, it's getting bigger and bigger. So the Yanks have now given them Bradleys, yeah. which is a big deal. Yep. Um, I read somewhere yesterday that the Brits are even considering sending Charlies. No, we are. It's confirmed. Ten of them, I think. Right. Well, that's that's nuts. A mate of mine who I work with is, is, is an ex-tanky, and he loves all that. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, you see Russian ta- Russian armour moving down there, you know, and you'll see there'll be T-64s, T-72, stuff like that. So to put to put Challenger 2 out there is going to be a bit of a game-changer, I think. Figures, though, like, obviously, like, the weapon system's the weapon system, right? But... They're on about you having them for the, oh, this will make a huge difference in the spring offensive. I'm thinking, like, fuck me, like, can you really master a, a weapons platform or whatever you want to call it, or like, in, in that amount of time and everything? And I'm just, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been a Challenger crew member, so I, 
I mean, look, you and me know infantry stuff. We we could both safely say, yeah, you can train someone up on a GPMG to be good at it in, in a short space of time. But I don't know about an inter- an integrated system like a Challenger with an integrated crew and and the support that that comes with it. I mean, yeah. I, I you know me and my mate who is tanky, you know, I give him shit constantly, and he gives me shit constantly, and that's and that's cool. That's how it works. But you know, the the Charlie two mate is from a layman's term, you know, it, it's the tip of the spear of modern age yeah. main battle tanks. You know what I mean? So. They've, they must they've must have been sending these guys to Bovington to gunnery must school to yeah. uh, you know this 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 hasn't just said oh, I'll tell you what is ten chalies yeah crack on I mean doesn't it have a fucking jet engine or something <laughs> like I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not <laughs> a box there's that other Batmobile I don't think it's like a bog standard V8 engine or something mate I'm pretty sure it's got some fucking mad turbine engine even you know the maintenance that's going to yeah. come behind that. You know, see, they make these tanks that you know you see them all the time, mate. They get fucking hammered. Mm-hmm. There's always vehicles on low loaders, right? And as you're driving down, and you'll see them. There's BMPs, BTRs, T64s, T72s, and they're smashed fucking bits. Well, we we spent much just as much time working on our warriors as we did in them. Yeah. So you know, I just again, it sounds like I think Civvy's have this idea of oh, these tanks will just turn up and they're just going to drive from Ukraine to Moscow. It's like don't really work like that. No, I mean if if we can get them, if they say if we if they can get them in and they can, you know, I mean, you know, Ukraine have been doing this now. They know the score. They've been doing this for a year. You know, they 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 know exactly where they need to be. From our perspective, we're or say we are. There is a lot of people who are very worried that there's going to be another assault from north south from Belarus. Mm. To, to, to retake Kiev. So would that bring Belarus into the war? Because this is a tough one, isn't it? Because, like, if Belarus isn't actually involved in... Like, let, let's say your Russian weapons are coming through Belarus. Is that any different to NATO weapons coming through Poland? Not at all. No, it's not. And I think the, the, the actual state that Belarus is in and the opinion of a lot of people that I've spoken to in Ukraine is that if Belarus commit their armed forces to this, mm-hmm. that, you know, civic public order within Belarus, they wouldn't have enough people to be able to, you know what I mean, to right. to, to control their own state. The problem is, is Lukashenko is, is only where he is because put him, put, you know, put him there and, and keeps him there. So, I don't know. I, th- I think, you know, bearing in mind, the Ukrainians now have had, what, seven, eight months to prepare a defence mm-hmm. of the north. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm more than ready to... Be sitting on the top of a Charlie Two drive. <laughs> I was sat in an MTLB the other day, mate. That was horrendous. Yeah. We had to go up to a. We went up to a gun line. Went up to North and Leave Man. The weather was honking. It was freezing. The mud. The vehicle. I mean, we have a, we have an armored B six, and it just wouldn't get up there. So they pulled up in this fucking medium turret, long body thing from the sixties. It was like get, get in the back. And I was like, oh, mate. Sat in there, closed the door, and it was just horrendous. And you could hear shit exploding and stuff in the distance. And I just thought, oh, gross. Just waiting for that EFP to just burn yeah. <laughs> through. Not cool. Um, mate, the other thing I was thinking about with um, just on the subject of like the kind of all the supplies and stuff. This and this has been the case for a while now. Apparently, like Western militaries have totally depleted the fucking stocks. I've read that. Yeah. So at some point. That's got to catch up to us. Like, as in, like, look, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they're all fucking licking the lips at the contracts, the military defense contracts they're going to get, which, you know, from my cynical point of view, has been kind of a lot of the driving force of it. Not all of it, but a big part of it. Yeah. But at some point, like, you be, once you've depleted the stock, you've depleted the stock, right? There's nothing more to fucking give. And I, and I, I, do, I do think that um, 
I mean, look, maybe this is just the optimist in me. I really hope that there's going to be push. That there's going to be a push for negotiations for peace. Um, obviously, fucking hell, I wish it that start today. But um, I'm really hoping there's something. And people aren't going to be happy with it because at the end of the day, there'll have to be concessions both ways because that's what, unless you do a what we did to Germany, which is flattening all of Germany or you flatten all of Japan, you don't get an unconditional surrender. That, that's how it's don't. going, mate. These these towns that are supposedly now under the you know the the referendum that it's, you know in the eyes of Russia are Russian, mm-hmm. they have no drama whatsoever in flattening these towns. Yeah. Well, this is what I was speaking to somebody about the other day with Russia, though, because it seems to me that the Western kind of gamble here is, and and to be honest, we were saying this from the beginning on this podcast. Politicians are now saying it too. Like, they're pretty openly saying that this is a proxy war now to reduce Russia's capability, right? And you can kind of think, like, personally, I think that's pretty disgusting that you use Ukrainian lives to further American and British interests. And I think that's pretty disgusting. If we're going to do it ourselves, we should do it ourselves. And if not, we should fuck off. But that's just my opinion. And, um, like, it's it's kind of at the point where, they're, you know, that's, yeah, like, we are draining kind of Russian resources and stuff. But you look at the history of Russia... It's one absolute calamity after another, and they always bounce back. And when you compare what's going on in Ukraine to Russian history, it's nothing. Mm. So the idea that this is going to knock Russia out for an extended period of, of time, that might buy a few years, yeah. But the idea, and, and then, but the, what really worries me, Britain and America, we're not in a war at the moment, really, and we, we, and we, we, we tend to get in a lot of them, right? And next time, Legally speaking, public, like international relations speaking, there is absolutely nothing now stopping Russia or China or whoever openly supplying whoever we fight next. Exactly as 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 they would. I mean, you know, we we all look ahead to to Taiwan mm-hmm. as as the next potential you know deployment for us once once Ukraine cools off or whatever happens happens and there's no longer a need for us to be there. You know, there's already. Things things been put into place potentially to, to to deploy out there, so it's just that continuous loop of right. What's next? What's next? What's next? And it's you know it's. I can see in your eyes you're excited for Taiwan. <laughs> like you're looking at another stamp, aren't you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting to a point now, mate. We're getting old, aren't we? Yeah. That's baby number four's on the way. In two months, you've blessed the marriage with thine penis, with another, with another son, <laughs> son of Ragnar Lothbrok. Uh, but yeah, last one now. It's official. The snip is booked in just, for April. <laughs> I'm, I'm dreading. I, it. I don't think I need one, mate. I think I, I've, I've stood in front of Macabre too much in in Iraq. I think I toasted these things. <laughs> I used to love turning that on you when you were stuck in traffic in baggers. <laughs> And there was be like loads of people on mopeds, and I'm like, bang, bang, McCormick on bed. Fashion state of mind does not condone <laughs> sterilising locals <laughs> with RF McCormick. Uh, we used to do it too when we were in Cyprus. We used to do OPs. Mm-hmm. We used to have the old laser rangefinders. We used to wait. We'd be in the OPs watching all the locals picking the nuts out of the trees, and that was like, bing, <laughs> picking the nuts out of the trees, <laughs> ladders, and we just range them. Did you ever see? You do, do you did a lot of Afghanistan. Did you ever see the local animal love? Uh, b- 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 not um, that was more Iraq, really. You saw them fuck animals in Iraq. No, we heard the the donkeys and oh. stuff, and we did we heard the chaos. It was all because <laughs> we used yeah. to just sit there eating our frozen cat's ass sausage rolls, <laughs> just terrified listening to donkeys getting raped. Oh my god. <laughs> 
No, we're right. I didn't know. How do you know it wasn't consensual? Because I seen that donkey afterwards when the sun <laughs> come up. Did he have a Me Too sign? <laughs> no, um, to be honest with you, Iraq. Do you remember Bridge Four on Hart going into going into Basra? Yeah, Bridge Four. I don't know. I, I, uh... I'm sure it was out of Hart or town, whatever. Anyway. Bridge Bridge Four. They, all the, the police from the local police station used to sunbathe. They used to like skinny dip in the water and hold hands and stuff. Thankfully, never saw that. Yeah, one of our platoon sergeants caught two of them bombing on the roof of the police station. <laughs> On the roof, as on you would do. Yeah. And then, but Afghan, like we discussed last time, you know, the old man love Thursday thing. We only kind of like one exposure to that, which was one too many. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 Someone, um, like, I, it's funny, I was talking about this at a party with someone a while ago. Um, and um, he was saying that every straight bloke needs to get hit on by a gay bloke to realize the position that women are in. And how uncomfortable it can be when someone just will not stop pesting you. And I had that the other day. Someone started. Someone started messaging me. Um, and like, look, mate, I'll be honest. May have encouraged them. Attention is attention, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, are we talking about you? you oh, right, okay. But then, yeah, but then the other day, you know. <clears throat> but it, but it, it, then it was. I was at first. I'm kind of like, you know, you're trying. You're kind of gently trying to be like, look, not interested. And then they just keep escalating and escalating. And I think you know where the escalation goes. And you're just like, the fuck are you doing? Like, um, but it, like I said, I feel like it's almost important for a bloke to have that so that you know what women fucking go through. Because it's like, not really an, an issue that I've ever had to overcome. To, to be, I don't think I'm that attractive to this. Stand by, <laughs> to the, yeah. mate. You look like you are a you are a bear, mate. These days, definitely, definitely fit the bear category. Not that I know what the categories are. <laughs> but if I did, you'd be a bear. Speaking of swole, mate, let's get some advertising in. How are my arms looking right looking now? Looking good, mate. Looking the, good. Yeah, the pythons are definitely Thanks, bro. in season. Shout out Combat Fuel, seamless advertising. <laughs> um, Combat Fuel. I use them in the morning. Let me tell you what I use from Combat Fuel. Use multivitamin, cod liver oil for me EPAs, zinc, magnesium before I go to bed, wake up with some horrifically strong bonus on that thing. Um, the pillows do take a smashing. What else have we got in there? Um, what else do I take? Vegan protein, delicious. I also use the whey protein because I ain't a vegan, but I do love the delicious vegan protein. And what else have I got in there? Uh, sometimes I use clear protein, but I use I tend to use that in the summer because it's like drinking a nice squash drink. Combat Fuel have also got this um, something that's supposed to give you really incredible focus. Uh, I haven't tried it yet, but everything else I've tried has been banging. So I'm just going to say that it's good because I'm sure that it is. Where can I get this Combat Fuel from? You... I will take a load of it back to work with me and distribute it to the lads. Thank you for asking, Ryan. You can get it at combat-fuel.co.uk. <laughs> you can also get it at Combat Fuel. Um, at Combat Fuel on social media. And if you use the code VSOM, you will get yourself a juicy discount for your juicy gains. Well, cool. Well, you can tell them from me that I'll bring a lot of it out to Ukraine with me and I'll give just, it... Just told them, mate. Give it to the truth. So tell them yourself. <laughs> They're listening. <laughs> All right. Mate, that was fucking seamless. I think we might have a future in, in radio, mate. <laughs> right, back on the gay stuff. <laughs> um, right, so let, let's go back on... Uh, come on, then, mate. Let's have some tears. We've we got you, as you call this, the cry room. We've got <laughs> we got you in the cry room, so... Um, let, let's get let's get some tears out of you um, for the audience. We've had some laughs, we've had some cries. Um, what has been over these last these these few months, from the point of view of a father, yeah, um, and a husband, 
Three months is a long time, mate. Yep. Like, what is your what What are you doing to keep yourself on the straight and narrow? Because um, looking healthy, looking happy. What's the secret? Acceptance, I think. <laughs> Acceptance of your face. Acceptance of sometimes <laughs> it's good and sometimes it's shit, and it's hard. Like it's really hard. Um, you know, I, we discussed this before, and you know, you know my sort of personal background that I went through a really heavy, hard divorce in 2018. You know, I still have issues now seeing my, my three children with my first wife. Seen them yesterday, went bowling. It was mega. Nice. It was brilliant. Um, and it, it's hard, and it is hard, and you can either, you know, follow that rabbit hole of, of, of horrible depression as far as it goes, and you end up dead at the end of it, like a lot of people that we know that happened to, or you can just accept the fact that, you know, people make mistakes in life, and you can either wear it, and you can eventually accept it and use it as your armour. And when people throw shit at you, it just bounces off and you focus on the good in your life. I'm very lucky. I'm now married to a woman that turned my life around and put me back on the straight and narrow, who is amazing in every way, every way. And we're having a little boy. We're having another baby. And I never thought I'd have children again, but I'm going to be a daddy again. And in a very selfish kind of way, you know, I, I don't see this as my as my chance to do it right. I don't see it like that. But I see this as a way that I can be a person now that I should have been then, mm. you know. And I, I see that now. And, you know, I, th I thank, I shall I say I thank God every day. I'm not religious, but I thank whatever there is to mm. thank every day for the fact that I've now got an opportunity to right some wrongs in my life. And I can be a better father and a better husband than I was. And I think... If it wasn't for the experiences that I went through that have now made me see life the way that I do now, the bad, even, you know, the bad things have, have, have tailored it so it's had a positive effect on me, if you know what I mean. I'll never be able to right the wrongs of my past, you know, and I've always said that, you know, you can only apologise for things so much, but eventually you understand that it, it doesn't make a difference. So all you can do is try and be a better person. And that's where I am now, really. You know, I, I live my life... I try and be good. I understand a lot more of my own self, you know, and I had help for that and it, you know, it changed the way that I think and I understand now what toxic toxicity is in my life and I try and avoid it and I embrace the good and I just try and be a, a good person, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that we see in our line of work that it can very easily drag you down into a hole, you know, if you try and make sense of it and you try and justify it but you just have to just let it wash over you a lot of the time. And I know that sounds very, sounds very barbaric and it sounds very selfish, but, you know, to, to kind of maintain your own soul, sometimes you have to see something and, you know, you just have to deal with it for what it is and then you move on and then you just, you know, let it fall in your wake and you focus on the next thing and that's, that's, how, that's how you continue being who you need to be for the people who are at home waiting for you who love you and that's the only way that you cope or it's the only way that I cope that was too positive mate awesome <laughs> I said I wanted tears um, no mate I think you I think you're dead on mate I'm glad you're in a good place mate um, I think something you're saying there I think is I think um, especially if you're like somewhere like you are now where you're seeing the worst sides of humans but also you know the best sides too yeah I think one of the things we do, 
as human beings and as people who want to achieve and people who want a better life, not just for ourselves, but for everybody, is we bite off too much that we chew sometimes and that just becomes overwhelming. Yeah, massively. You know, and I think just kind of trying to get in this mood thinking now of being like, sort your own life out. And maybe if you influence two or three other people to sort theirs out, then that's the kind of the win that you have to go for. Whereas like, if you're like, Right, I want to change all this, and I want to end. Well, like, it ain't going to happen. You're just going to you're going to drown. It never will. It's 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 you know it's expectation management. You compartmentalize your life, right? And I've always done this, and it's been to my benefit, and it's also massively been to my failure as well. You know, you have certain parts of your life live in different boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you stand there and you look at this huge library of your life, and you pull out different faces and you take different faces off, and you know, mm-hmm. it works, but eventually. You know, the pressure cooker boils over and, you know, things go wrong. So I I think the best the best way to do it is is different parts of you fit better in certain aspects of your life. You know, and if you can keep there'll never be a seamless transition. Like when I come home for the first couple of days, you know, my missus is on me straight away. She goes, you know, you're in work mode. Stop it. <laughs> you know, chill. Or you go to the supermarket and you're like, you know. So it just takes time, experience, and the understanding of, you know, only focus on things that are within your realm of change. If you can physically impact on what's going on around you and you can physically make those changes for the better, then do it. Mm-hmm. If you can't, fuck it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't physically make a change, you've just got to learn to adapt and live within that. And eventually you'll navigate your way through the, the best path for yourself and others around you. Do you know what I mean? So what do you see, mate? Let's do a couple of predictions here. What do you see for yourself near future now, mid-future, kind of like, you know, new new boy on the way, new missus, or new wife, I should say, give her the honorary, the honorary title. And, um, you know, like, well, where, where do you see things going for you now? Because I think, like, you and me were talking before we came on here about nicotine and how much, you know, nicotine and caffeine and stuff can be addictive. And obviously the work that you're into incredibly addictive so what's the plan are you going to wean yourself off or are you going to throw yourself in in the addiction or like why is it i think for me if i'm being 100 percent completely honest you know this this life is all i've ever known when i was 16 17 i joined the army you know i left when i was what 25 and i've been doing this ever since with a couple of little breaks here and there to look at different things i i struggle to settle but i know eventually i'm gonna have to and i'm gonna have to make make change we're both getting older, you know, 40s round the corner. It's a little closer around the corner for you than it is for me. <laughs> but I think, I think you know, what, what I would like ideally would to be to transition this skill set into something else and just not be a contractor anymore. I think is the goal for, for everyone in our line of work is to not be a contractor, to get direct hire, get a bit of job security, get a bit of more stable homework, life balance, just like everybody else. But then at the end of the day, you know, when you need money, what do you do? OnlyFans. <laughs> the bear is on OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, th- things things will change. I mean, my partner has got a career that she's very, you know, she'll, she's taking time out of now. And I want her to be able to prosper in that. So when the baby comes and the maternity finishes, I, you know, I've got a lot of decisions to make. At the minute, I'm doing six, six weeks on, two weeks off, which is never six weeks on, two weeks off. I mean, I've just done... Three months on, two weeks off. So some some big decisions are going to have to be made. But at the same time, you know, this is going to sound very shallow, but cash is king, isn't it? 
you know, and you need to be able to support your family. You've got to pay your child maintenance and you've got to, you know, you've got to, nobody wants to be skint, do they? Let's be honest. I've been skint and it's shit. Nobody wants that. But at the same time, I don't want to be driving around in a B6 for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. You want to be flying on a G6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, mate, that's absolutely true, mate. Um, as far as the crystal ball goes for Ukraine, what you're seeing in that? I think at the moment Russia won't back down because it won't lose face. Ukraine won't back down because they know that if Zelensky goes to the negotiation table and he loses Crimea and he loses Luhansk, that's his career over. So I think as long as the West is still pumping arms, munitions in, they'll keep, it'll keep going. It'll keep rolling. But, I mean, you know, we get to next month is the 12-month is the point. You know, people, you know, looking ahead, what, what's, what's going to happen? I think, I think Russia need, if they want to succeed, they need to do another massive attack into the north. You know, a, a, a striking the critical infrastructure over the winter hasn't really been successful. You know, they've hit the power, they've hit the water, they've hit the gas. You know, the Ukrainian people have just smiled back and, you know, they've kept on going. Yeah. The resilience is there. You know, the, the Ukrainian people will fight to the end. You know, when you see that, I've never in my life seen a people as resilient and as strong as the Ukrainian people. And I can see, you know, I, I 100% support that. They will fight till the end. So how this ends, I don't know. I think uh, it's only going to end when, because Russia aren't going to want it to end. The Ukrainians, as you said, aren't going to want it to end. It's only going to end when the West decides it's fucking ending. Like an America, uh, like America puts its foot down and says there will be this treaty, and and that's why there'll have to be concessions to Russia because otherwise, why would Russia agree to it, right? But I think with the right kind of, um, and there's been things like recently, like Zelensky's just done a deal with BlackRock to rebuild the country and stuff. So now there's Western, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of financial interest in rebuilding what we've also just contributed to. But that's 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 it. That's the game, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Christ, me and you've seen that, you know. Yeah. We just destroyed destroyed Iraq and then in our twenties and then spent our thirties looking after people rebuilding it. And look, mate, you said cash is king. Yeah, Zelensky's never taken another commercial flight in his life. He's like he's already very well healed. He's about to, like he's 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 set. And I think that that's the way that this ends with Western interests. It was the way. Look, is the way the First World War ended. Is the way a lot of these wars end. The banks, the governments say, look, at this point now, this is now not profitable anymore. Now it's time to go into phase two, the rebuild, and something will get sorted out. I think the I think the the end of the ground war is a long way off. Well, that's just something else people we we forget in this country because when Britain has gone in and done ground wars, you know, you fucking the invasion of Iraq, you know, it's, it's over in no time because we just wait for. But I think for this, we need to look more at like the Iran-Iraq war, like, you know, fucking the Second World War as examples, Korea, those kind of things. This is could go on for fucking four or five. It could, could. I don't think it will, but it could go on for I think there's still another 12 months to two years on this. I mean, this is a big issue that I have with reporters that come in who are very cocksure of themselves, that have dealt with, worked in conflict, blah, 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 blah. The first thing you have to say is, listen, this isn't a conventional army fighting a militia guerrilla force. This is two conventional armies fighting an asymmetric land, air, and sea battle against each other. You know, and it's terrifying when you see, you know, we're all used to getting rocket attacked and mortared and stuff like that. But when you know there's a forward observer with eyes on you 
and they're bracketing your vehicles as you're driving in and you're watching rams landing in fields and then correcting mate it's fucking terrifying they do what we do yeah and you know it they're, they're really good at it and uh, i also think as well wars tend to kind of like they don't tend to end in in um you know like summer summer's a great time for campaigning and both sides will be jockeying for position so I think at the very earliest, like, and this is, I'd, look, I'd fucking love to be wrong on this. I'd love to be their piece tomorrow. Um, but I think realistically, both sides are going to go try and get what they can, at least through the summer. I think so. I think we're getting to a point now where the ground is still hard. The initial invasion was in February. You know, you can move armour across open ground in that in that terrain. You know, the permit, it's, it's what, still minus 10, minus 15 there now. So the ground's hard, so you can push armour wherever you need it. That will change come March, April. The ground will soften again. Then the temperature goes through the roof in May, June, July, August. You know, it's it's warm. So we'll see. I mean, if Russia can, can consolidate its gains in Solidar and then they will either press northwest to potentially try and retake Seversk, Liman, if they can re-establish the gains they had on that area... Or they could focus predominantly, come straight down the MO3 and hit Slavyansk. That then puts Kramatorsk so within immediate sort of IDF range rather than rocket range. You know, and it'll it'll massively change the dynamic of what's going on in Donbass. And then the Ukrainians could flush everything they have in to push them back, which will then create a vacuum in the north, which then could be when they fire in again from the north. So it's it's a chess game at the minute. We'll see we'll see what happens. And if you listeners want to consolidate your gains, check out Combat Fuel, combat-fuel.co.uk, at Combat Fuel. Also want to give a massive shout out to Zulu Alpha Straps for supporting today's podcast. They're out in Vegas at the moment, didn't take me with them. Was thinking of not giving them the shout out. <laughs> yeah, a massive shout out to Zulu Alpha Straps if you're looking for a timepiece. Oh, we need to get you one, mate. Get your nice solid Zulu Alpha Strap that you can wear on the front line that we can identify your body with. <laughs> exactly. I want, I want watch straps. Right. I want gains. Give it me. All right. Well, I, was, I, was, I might have a strap at home for you, mate. We'll have a look. Definitely got a strap of some kind for you there. <laughs> um, so shout out Combat Fuel, Zulu Alpha Straps, ZuluAlphaStraps.com at Zulu Alpha Straps. Everything linked up in the show notes. Thank you also to the Patreons. Um, you can sign up to the Patreon for as little as a quid a month. Why give that money to a starving kid in Africa when you can give it to a podcast to talk reasonably well, well-informed bollocks? Mate, thanks so much for coming on today. I think it's time I see in my own crystal ball, I see a pint in our near future. So I think we should go and get that, make make that happen, mate. Thank that's, you very much. That's our destiny. That's it. Thank you very much for having me back. And if anyone's interested in uh, OnlyFans of a big, beautiful bear, then <laughs> hit me up. I'll start taking some clandestine photos. Yeah, but, mate, thanks so much for coming on today, mate. Always no, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, mate. It's nice. This is the only time I ever get to see you these days. It is, but that's your fault. I'm not coming to Ukraine to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go to the pub. Right, see you later. Cheers. Catch you next time. We'll bye, bye, bye.